Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we'll read chapters 11 and 12. And in the previous episode we found out that who Piper's mom really was and Piper's mom is the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. It was very unexpected especially to Drew as you can if, if you listen in the previous episode, she starts uh saying no, not possible and you know, she despises Piper because she also likes Jason. And since Piper claims that Jason is her boyfriend, uh, Drew doesn't like that and wants to get closer to Jason and possibly date him as well because she likes him, I'm assuming, a little bit. So, yeah. Uh, so now they're sisters, stepsisters. So it will be very interesting to now find out who Jason's parents are since we've already found out who Leo's dad is, Hephaestus, and Piper's mom. So now, without further ado, let's read chapter 11, Leo. Leo didn't stick around after Piper turned beautiful. Sure, it was amazing and all. She's got makeup, it's a miracle. But Leo had problems to deal with. He ducked out of the amphitheater and ran into the darkness, wondering what he'd gotten himself into. He stood up in front of a bunch of stronger, braver demigods and volunteered, volunteered for a mission that would probably get him killed. He had a mention seeing Tia Kalida, his old babysitter, but as soon as he'd heard about Jason's vision, vision, the lady in the black dress and shawl, Leo knew it was the same woman. Tia Kalida was Hera. His evil babysitter was the queen of the gods. Stuff like that could really deep fry your brain. He trudged toward the woods and tried not to think about his childhood, all the messed up things that had led to his mother's death, but he couldn't help it. The first time Tia Kalida tried to kill him, he must have been about two. Tia Kalida was looking after him while his mother was at the machine shop. She wasn't really his aunt, of course, just one of the old women in the community, a generic Tia who helped watch the kids. She smelled like a honey-baked ham and always wore a widow's dress like a black shawl. Let's set you down for a nap, she said. Let's see if you are brave, my little hero, eh? Leo was sleepy. She nestled him into his blankets in a warm mound of red and yellow pillows. The bed was like a cubby hole in the wall, made of blackened bricks with a metal slot over his head and a square hole far above where he could see the stars. He remembered resting comfortably, grabbing at sparks like fireflies. He dozed off and dreamed of a boat made of fire sailed through the cinders sailing through the cinders he imagined himself on board navigating the sky somewhere nearby tia kalida sat in a rocking chair creak 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 and sang a lullaby even at two leo knew the difference between english and spanish and he remembered being puzzled because tia kalida was singing in a language that was neither Everything was fine until his mother came home. She screamed and raced over to snatch him up, yelling at Tia Kalida. How could you? But the old lady had disappeared. Leo remembered looking over his mother's shoulder at the flames curling around his blankets. Only years had he realized he'd been sleeping in a blazing fireplace. The weirdest thing? Tia Kalida hadn't been arrested or even banished from their house. She appeared again several times over the next few years. Once, when Leo was three, she let him play with knives. You must learn your blades early, she insisted. If you are not to be, if you are to be my hero someday, Leo managed not managed not to kill himself. But he got the feeling Tia Kalida wouldn't have cared one way or the other. 
When Leo was four, Thea found a rattlesnake for him in a nearby cow pasture. She gave him a stick and encouraged him to poke the animal. Where's your bravery, little hero? Show me the fates were right to choose you. Leo stared down at those amber eyes, hearing the dry shh of the snake's rattle. He couldn't bring himself to poke the snake. It didn't seem fair. Apparently, the snake felt the same way about biting a little kid. Leo could have sworn and looked like Thea Kalita like, Are you nuts, lady? Then it disappeared into the tall grass. The last time she babysat him, Leo was five. She brought him a pack of crayons and a pad of paper. They sat together at the picnic table in the back of the apartment complex, under an old pecan tree. While Thea Kalita sang her strange songs, Leo drew a picture of the boat he'd seen in the flames, with colorful sails and rows of oars, a curved stern, and an awesome figurehead. When he was almost done about to sign his name the way he'd learned in kindergarten, a wind snatched the picture away. It flew into the sky and disappeared. Leo wanted to cry. He spent so much time on that picture, but Thea Kalita just clucked with disappointment. It isn't time yet, little hero. Someday you'll have your quest. So you'll find your destiny and your hard journey will finally make sense. But first you must face that many sorrows. I regret that, but heroes cannot be shaped any other way. Now make me a fire, eh? Warm these old bones. A few minutes later, Leo's mom came out and shrieked with horror. Tia Kalita was gone, but Leo, Leo sat in the middle of a smoking fire. The pad of paperwork was reduced to ashes. Crayons had melted into a bubbling puddle of multicolored goo. And Leo's hands were ablaze, slowly burning through the picnic table. For years afterward, people in the apartment complex would wonder how someone had seared the impressions of a five-year-old's hands an inch deep into solid wood. Now, Leo was sure that Thea Kalita, his psychotic babysitter, had been Hera all along. That made her, what, his godly grandmother? His family was even more messed up than he realized. He wondered if his mother had known the truth. Leo remembered after that last visit, his mom took, his mom took him inside and had a long talk with him. But he only understood some of it. She can't come back again. His mom had a beautiful face with kind eyes and curly dark hair. But she looked older than she was because of hard work. The lines around her eyes were deeply etched. Her hands were calloused. She was the first person from their family to graduate from college. She had a degree in mechanical engineering, could design anything, fix anything, build anything. No one would hire her. No company would take her seriously, so she ended up in the machine shop, trying to make enough money to support the two of them. She always smelled like of she always smelled of machine oil. When when she talked with Leo, she switched from Spanish to English constantly, using them like complementary tools. It took Leo years to realize that not everyone spoke that way. She'd even taught him Morse code as a kind of game so that they could tap messages to each other when they were in different rooms. I love you. You okay? Simple things like that. I don't care what Kalida says, his mom told him. I don't care about destiny and the fates. You're too young for that. You're still my baby. She took his hands, looking for burn marks, but of course there weren't any. Leo, listen to me. Fire is a tool, like anything else, but it's more dangerous than most. You don't know your limits. Please, promise me. No more fire until you meet your father. Someday, mijo, you will meet him. He'll explain everything. Leo had heard that since he could remember. Someday he would meet his dad. His mom wouldn't answer any questions about him. Leo had never met him, never even seen pictures. 
but she talked like he'd just gone to the store for some milk and he'd be back any minute. Leo tried to believe her. Someday, everything would make sense. For the next couple of years, they were happy. Leo almost forgot about Tia Kalita. He still dreamed of the flying boat, but the other strange events seemed like a dream too. It all came apart when he was eight. By then, he was spending every free hour at the shop with his mom. He knew how to use the machines. He could measure and do math better than most adults. He'd learned to think three-dimensionally, solving mechanical problems in his head the way his mom did. One night, they stayed late because his mom was finishing a drill bit design she'd hoped to patent. If she could sell the prototype, it might change their lives. She'd finally get a break. As she worked, Leo passed her supplies and told her corny jokes, trying to keep her spirits up. He loved it when he could make her laugh. She'd smile and say, Your father would be proud of you, mijo. You'll meet him soon, I'm sure. Mom's workspace was at the very back of the shop. It was kind of creepy at night because they were the only ones there. Every sound echoed through the dark warehouse, but Leo didn't mind as long as he was with his mom. If he did wander the shop, they could always keep in touch with Morse code taps. Whenever they were ready to leave, they had to walk through the entire shop, through the break room and out to the parking lot, locking the doors behind them. That night after finishing up, they'd just gone to the break room, where his mom realized she didn't have her keys. That's funny, she frowned. I know I had them. Wait here, mijo. I'll only be a minute. She gave him one more smile, the last one he'd ever get. She went back into the warehouse. She only went and been gone a few heartbeats when the interior door slammed shut. Then the exterior door locked itself. Mom? Leo's heart pounded. Something heavy crashed inside the warehouse. He ran to the door, but no matter how hard he pulled or kicked, it wouldn't open. Mom! Frantically, he tapped a message on the wall. You okay? She can't hear you, a voice said. Leo turned and found himself facing a strange woman. At first, he thought it was Tia Kalita. She was wrapped in black robes with a veil covering her face. Tia? she said. The woman chuckled, a slow, gentle sound as if she, as if she were half asleep. I'm not your guardian, merely a family resemblance. Wh wh what do you want? Where's my mom? Ah, loyal to your mother. How nice. But you see, I have children too, and I understand you will fight them someday. When they try to wake me, you will prevent them. I cannot allow that. I don't know you. I don't want to fight anybody. She muttered like a sleepwalker in a trance. A wise choice. With a chill, Leo realized the woman was in fact asleep. Behind the veil, her eyes were closed, but even stranger, her clothes were not made of cloth. They were made of earth. Dry black dirt churning and shifting around her. Her pale, sleeping face was barely visible behind a curtain of dust. And he had the horrible sense that he, she had just risen from the grave. If the woman was asleep, Leo wanted her to stay that, stay that way. He knew that fully awake, she would be even more terrible. I cannot destroy you yet, the woman murmured. The fates will not allow it. But they do not protect your mother and they cannot stop me from breaking your spirit. Remember this night, little hero, when they ask you to oppose me. Leave my mother alone! Fear rose in his throat as the woman shuffled forward. She moved more like an avalanche than a, than a person. A dark wall of earth shifting toward him. How will you stop me? She whispered. 
She walked straight through a tray table, the particles of her body reassembling on the other side. She loomed over Leo, and he knew she would pass right through him, too. He was the only thing between her and his mother. His hands caught fire. A sleepy smile spread across the woman's face, as if she'd already won. Leo screamed with dis desperation. His vision turned red. Flames washed over the earthen woman. The walls, the locked doors, and Leo lost consciousness. When he woke, he was in an ambulance. The paramedic tried to be kind. She told him the warehouse had burned down. His mother hadn't made it out. The paramedic said she was sorry, but Leo felt hollow. He'd lost control, just like his mother had warned. Her death was his fault. Soon the police came to get him, and they weren't as nice. The fire had started in the break room, they said, right where Leo was standing. He'd survived by some miracle, but what kind of child locked the doors of his mother's workplace knowing she was inside and started a fire? Later, his neighbors at the apartment complex told the boy what a strange boy he was. They talked about the burned handprints on the picnic table. They'd always known something was wrong with Esperanza Valdez's son. His relatives wouldn't take him in. His aunt Rosa called him a Diablo and shouted at the social workers to take him away. So Leo went to his first foster home. A few days later, he ran away. Some foster homes lasted longer than others. He'd joke around, make a few friends, pretend that nothing bothered him. But, he'd always end but he always ended up running sooner or later. It was the only thing that made the pain better, feeling, feeling like he was moving. Getting farther and farther and farther away from the ashes of that machine shop. He promised himself he would never play with fire again. He hadn't thought about Tia Kalida, or the sleeping woman wrapped in earthen robes for a long time. He was almost to the woods when he imagined Tia Kalida's voice. It wasn't your fault, little hero. Our enemy wakes. It's time to stop running. Hera, Leo muttered, you're not even here, are you? You're in a cage somewhere. There was no answer, but now at least Leo understood something. Hera had been waiting him his entire life. Somehow she'd known that one day she would need him. Maybe those fates she mentioned could tell the future. Leo wasn't sure, but he knew he was meant to go on this quest. Jason's prophecy warned them to beware the earth, and Leo knew it had something to do with that sleeping woman in the shop, wrapped in robes of shifting dirt. You'll find your destiny, Tia Kalida had promised, and your hard journey will finally make sense. Leo might find out what that flying boat in his dreams meant. He might meet his father or even get to avenge his mother's death. But first things first, he'd promised Jason a flying ride. Not the boat from his dreams, not yet. There, was there wasn't time to build something that complicated. He needed a quicker solution. He needed a dragon. He hesitated at the edge of the woods, peering into absolute darkness. Owls hooted and something far away hissed like a chorus of snakes. Leo remembered what Will Solis had told him. No one should go in the woods, alone, definitely not unarmed. Leo had nothing. No sword, no flashlight, no help. He glanced back at the lights of the cabins. He could turn around now and tell everybody, everyone he'd been joking. Psych! Nissa could go on the quest instead. He could stay at camp and learn to be part of the Hephaestus cabin. But he wondered how long it would be before he looked like his bunkmates. Sad, dejected, convinced of his own bad luck. They cannot stop me from breaking your spirit, the sleeping woman had said. Remember this night, little hero, when they ask you to oppose me. Believe me, lady, Leo muttered. I remember, and whoever you are, 
I'm gonna face plant you hard, Leo style. He took a deep breath and plunged into the forest. And that is the end of chapter 11. My theory is, is that that black-veiled woman is probably Gaia, and she was able to ignite a or induce a fire on uh, for Leo uh, within Leo, so that it unintentionally Leo st- Leo gets you know starts uh, warming up the fire in his hands and accidentally uh, accidentally sets it on fire. So really, I think who we need to blame here for. Leo's mother's incident is Gaia, so there's that, but yeah, we'll see more of the details and hopefully Leo gets his revenge I mean, that was really uh, upsetting and knowing the backstory of what happened, and yeah, Tia Kalita was a very vague and and very confusing person I must say, hearing from Leo's backstory, but Maybe we'll get to know more about who Tia Kalita is and who was that black-veiled woman and if Leo will ever see him, see her again. But we will read chapter 12 and see if we get that information right after this break when we read chapter 12. Leo. And we're back from the ads and now we're going to read chapter 12. Leo. The woods weren't like any place he'd been before. Leo had been raised in a North Houston apartment complex. The wildest things he'd ever seen were that rattlesnakes in the cow pasture and his Aunt Rosa in in her nightgown, until he was sent to wilderness school. Even there, the school had been in the desert. No trees, no with gnarled roots to trip over, no streams to fall into, no branches casting dark, creepy shadows, and owls looking down at him with their big, reflective eyes. This was the twilight zone. He stumbled along until he was sure no one back at the cabins could possibly see him. Then he summoned fire. Flames danced along his fingertips, casting enough light to see. He hadn't tried to keep a sustained burn going since he was five. At that picnic table, since since his mom's death, he'd been too afraid to try anything. Even this tiny fire made him feel guilty. He kept walking, looking for a dragon-type clues. Giant foot tr- footprints, trampled trees, swaths of burning forest, something that big could ex- couldn't exactly sneak around, right? But he saw nada. Once he glimpsed a large, furry shape like a wolf or a bear, but it stayed away from his fire, which was fine by Leo. Then, at the bottom of a clearing, he saw the first trap, a hundred-foot-wide crater ringed with boulders. Leo had to admit it. It was pretty ingenious. In the center of the depression, a metal metal vat the size of a hot tub had been filled with bubbly dark liquid, Tabasco sauce, and mortar oil. On a pedestal suspended over the vat, an electric fan rotated in a circle, spreading the fumes across the forest. Could metal dragons smell? The vat seemed to be unguarded, but Leo looked closely. And in the dim light of the stars and his handheld fire, he could see the glint of metal beneath the dirt and leaves. A bronze net lining the entire crater. Maybe see wasn't the right word. He could sense it there. As if the mechanism was emitting heat, revealing itself to him. Six large strips of bronze stretched out from the vat like the spokes of a wheel. They'll be pressured sensitive, Leo guessed. 
as soon as the dragon stepped on one, the net would spring closed. And voila, one gift-wrapped monster. Leo edged closer. He put his foot on the nearest trigger strap, strip. As he expected, nothing happened. They had to have set the net, head net for something really heavy. Otherwise, they could catch an animal, human, smaller monster, whatever. He doubted there was anything else as heavy as a metal dragon in these woods. At least, he hoped there wasn't. He picked his way down the crater and approached the vat. The, huf- the fumes were almost overpowering and his eyes started watering. He remembered a time when Tia Kalita, Hera, whatever, had made him chop jalapenos in the kitchen and he'd gotten the juice in his eyes. Serious pain, but of course she'd been like, Endure, little hero. The Aztecs of your mother's homeland used to punish bad children by holding them over a fire filled with chili peppers. They raised many heroes that way. A total psycho, that lady. Leo was so glad he was on a quest to rescue her. Diocleto would have loved this vat, because it was way worse than jalapeno juice. Leo looked for a trigger, something that would disable the net. He didn't see anything. He had a moment of panic. Nissa had said there were several traps like this in the woods, and they were planning more. What if the dragon had already stepped into another one? How could Leo possibly find them all? He continued to search, but he didn't see any release mechanism. No large button labeled off. It occurred to him that there might not be one. He started to despair, and then he heard the sound. It was more of a tremor, the deep sort of rumbling you hear in your gut rather than your ears. It gave him the jitters, but he didn't look around for the source. He just kept examining the trap, thinking, must be a long way off. It's pounding its way through the woods. I gotta hurry. Then he heard a grinding snort, like steam forced out of a metal barrel. His neck tingled. He turned slowly. At the edge of the pit, 50 feet away, two glowing red eyes were staring at him. The creature gleamed in the moonlight, and Leo couldn't believe something that huge had sneaked up on him so fast. Too late. He realized its, its gaze was fixed on the fire in his hand, and he extinguished the flames. He could still see the dragon just fine. It was about 60 feet long, snout to tail. Its body made of interlocking bronze plates. Its claws were the size of butcher knives, and its mouth was lined with hundreds of dagger-sharp metal teeth. Stream came out of its nostrils. It snarled like a chainsaw cutting through a tree. It could have been Leo in half. Easy, or stomped him flat. It was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen, except for one problem that completely ruined Leo's plan. You don't have wings. The dragon snarl died. It tilted its head as if to say, Why aren't you running away in terror? Hey, no offense, Leo said. You're amazing. Good God, who made you? Are you hydraulic or nuclear powered or what? But if it was me, I would would have put wings on you. What kind of dragon doesn't have wings? I guess you're maybe too heavy to fly. I should have thought of that. The dragon snorted, more confused now. It was supposed to trample Leo. This conversation thing wasn't part of the plan. He took a step forward and Leo shouted, No! The dragon snarled again. It's a trap, bronze brain. Leo said, they're trying to catch you. The dragon opened its mouth and blew fire. A column of white hot flames billowed over Leo. More than more more than he'd ever tried to endure and before, he felt as if he were being hosed down with a powerful, very hot fire hose. It stung a little, but he stood his ground. When the flames died, he was perfectly fine. Even his clothes were okay, which Leo didn't understand, but for what which he was grateful. 
He liked his army jacket, and having his pants seared off would have been pretty embarrassing. The dragon stared at Leo. Its face didn't actually change, being made of metal and all, but Leo thought he could read its expressions. Why no crispy critter? A spark flew out of his, its neck like it was about to short-circuit. You can't burn me, Leo said, trying to sound stern and calm. He never had a dog before, but he talked to the dragon that way, the way he thought you'd talk to a dog. Stay, boy. Don't come any closer. I don't want you to get caught. See, they think you're broken and have to be scrapped, but I don't believe that. I can fix you if you'll let me. The dragon creaked, roared, and charged. The trap sprang. The floor of the crater erupted with a sound like a thousand trash can lids banging together. Dirt and leaves flew, metal net flashing. Leo was knocked off his feet, turned upside down, and doused in Tabasco sauce and oil. He found himself sandwiched between the vat and the dragon as it thrashed, trying to free itself from the net that had wrapped around them both. The dragon blew flames in every direction, lighting up the sky and setting trees on fire. Oil and sauce burned all over them. It didn't hurt Leo, but it left a nasty taste in his mouth. Will you stop that? He yelled. The dragon kept squirming. Leo realized he would get crushed if he didn't move. It wasn't easy, but he managed to wriggle out of from between the dragon and the vat. He squirmed his way through the net. Fortunately, the holes were plenty big enough for a skinny kid. He ran to the dragon's head. It tried to snap at him, but its teeth were tangled in the mesh. It blew fire again, but seemed to be running out of energy. This time, the flames were only orange. They sputtered before they even reached Leo's face. Listen, man, Leo said. You're just going to show them where you are, and then they'll come and break out the acid and the metal cutters. Is that what you want? The dragon's jaw made a creaking sound like it was trying to talk. Okay, then, Leo said. You'll have to trust me. And Leo set to work. It took him almost an hour to find the control panel. It was right behind the dragon's head, which made sense. He'd elected to keep the dragon in the net because it was easier to work with the dragon constrained, but the dragon didn't like it. Hold still, Leo scolded. The dragon made another creaking sound that might have been a whimper. Leo examined the wires inside the dragon's head. He was distracted by a sound in the woods, but when he looked up, it was just a tree spirit, a dryad. Leo thought they were called putting out the flames in her branches. Fortunately, the dragon hadn't started an all-out forest fire, but still the dryad wasn't too pleased. The girl's dress was smoking. She smothered the flames with a silky blanket, and when she saw Leo looking at her, she made a gesture that was probably very rude and dryad. Then she disappeared in a green poof of mist. Leo returned to his, his attention to the wiring. It was ingenious, definitely, and it made sense to him. This was the motor control relay. This processed sensory input from the eyes, this disc. Ha, huh, he said. Well, no wonder. Greek? The dragon asked with its jaw. You've got a corroded control disc. Probably regulates your higher reasoning circuits, right? Rusty brain, man. No wonder you're a little confused. He almost said crazy, but he caught himself. I wish I had a replacement disc, but this is a complicated piece of circuitry. I'm going to have to take it out and clean it. Only be a minute. He pulled out the disc and the dragon went absolutely still. The glow died in its eyes. Leo slid off its back and began polishing the disc. He mopped up some oil and Tabasco sauce with his leaves, which helped cut through the grime. But the more he cleaned, the more concerned he got. Some of the circuits were beyond repair. He could make it better, but not perfect. For that, he needed a completely new disc, and he had no idea how to build one. 
He tried to work quickly. He wasn't sure how long the dragon's control disc could be off without damaging it. Maybe forever. But he didn't want to take chances. Once he'd done the best he could, he climbed back up to the dragon's head and started cleaning the riding and gear wiring and gearboxes, getting himself filthy in the process. Cleaning hands, dirty equipment, he muttered, something his mother used to say. By the time he was through, his hands were black with grease and his clothes looked like he'd just lost a mud wrestling contest. But the mechanisms looked a lot better. He slipped in the desk, disc, connected the last wire, and sparks flew. The dragon shuddered, its eyes began to glow. Better? Leo asked. The dragon made a sound like a high-speed drill. It opened its mouth and all its teeth rotated. I guess that's a yes. Hold on, I'll free you. Another 30 minutes to find the release clamps for the net untangled the dragon, but it finally it understood and shook the last bit of the netting off its back. It roared triumphantly and shot fire at the sky. Seriously? Leo said. Could you not show off? Creek? The dragon asked. You need a name. Leo decided. I'm calling you Festus. The dragon whirred its teeth and grinned. At least Leo hoped it was a grin. Cool, Leo said. But we still have a problem, because you don't have wings. Festus tilted his head and snorted steam. Then he lowered his back in an unmistakable gesture. He wanted Leo to climb on. Where are we going? Leo asked. But he was too excited to wait for an answer. He climbed onto the dragon's back, and Festus bounded off into the woods. Leo lost tracks of time, track of time and all sense of direction. It seemed impossible the woods could be so deep and wild, but the dragon traveled until the trees were like skyscrapers in the canopy of leaves, completely blotted out the stars. Even the fire in Leo's hand couldn't have lit the way, but the dragon's glowing red eyes acted like headlights. Finally, they crossed a stream and came to a dead end. A limestone cliff a hundred feet tall. A solid, sheer mass the dragon couldn't possibly climb. Festus stopped at the base and lifted one leg like a dog pointing. What is it? Leo slid to the ground. He walked up to the cliff. Nothing but solid rock. The dragon kept pointing. It's not going to move out of your way, Leo told him. The loose wire in the dragon's neck sparked, but otherwise he stayed still. Leo put his hand on the cliff. Suddenly, his finger smoldered. Lines of fire spread from his fingertips like ignited gunpowder, sizzling across the limestone. The burning lines raced across the cliff face until they had outlined a glowing red door five times as tall as Leo. He backed up and the door swung open, disturbingly silent for such a big slap of rock. Perfectly balanced, he muttered. That's some first-rate engineering. The dragon unfroze and marched inside as if he were coming home. Leo stepped through and the door began to close. He had a moment of panic, remembering that night in the machine shop long ago, when he had been locked in. What if he got stuck in there? But then lights flickered on a combination of electric fluorescence and wall-mounted torches. When Leo saw the cavern, he forgot about leaving. Festus, he muttered. What is this place? The dragon stomped to the center of the room, leaving tracks in the thick dust and curled up on a large circular platform. The cave was the size of an airplane hangar, with, uh, with endless work tables and storage cages. Rows of garage-sized doors along either wall and staircases that led up, to a, led up to a network of catwalks high above. Equipment was everywhere. Hydraulic lifts, welding, welding torches, hazard suits, air spades, forklifts, plus something that looked suspiciously like a nuclear reaction chamber. 
Bulletin boards were covered with tattered, faded blueprints, and weapons, armor, shields were supplies all over the war supplies all over the place. A lot of them only partially finished. Hanging from chains far above the dragon's platform was an old, tattered banner, almost too faded to read. The letters were Greek, but Leo somehow knew what they said. Bunker 9. Does that mean 9 as in the Hephaestus cabin, or 9 as in there were 8 others? Leo looked at Festus, still curled up on the platform, and it occurred to him that the dragon looked so content because it was home. It had probably built on that pad. Do the other kids know? Leo's question died as he asked it. Clearly, this place had been abandoned for decades. Cobwebs and dust covered everything. The floor revealed no footprints except for his and the huge paw prints of the dragon. He was the first one in this bunker since since a long time ago. Bunker 9 had been abandoned with the lodge a lot of projects half finished on the tables, locked up and forgotten. But why? Leo looked at a map on the wall, a battle map of camp, but the paper was at a, was as cracked and yellow as onion skin. A date at the bottom read 1864. No way, he muttered. Then he spotted a blueprint on a nearby bulletin board, and his heart almost leaped out of his throat. He ran to the work table and stared up at a white line drawing almost faded beyond recognition. A Greek ship from several different angles. Faintly scrawled words underneath it read, Prophecy? Unclear. Flight? It was the ship he'd seen in his dreams, the flying ship. Someone had tried to build it here, or at least sketched out the idea. Then it was left, forgotten. A prophecy yet to come, and weirdest of all, the ship's figurehead was exactly the one Leo had drawn when he was five. The head of a dragon. Looks like you, Festus, he murmured. That's creepy. The figurehead gave him an uneasy feeling, but Leo's mind spun with too many other questions to think about it for too long. He touched the blueprint, hoping he could take it down to study, but the paper crackled at his touch, so he left it alone. He looked around for other clues, no boats, no pieces that looked like parts of his, this project, but there were so many doors and storerooms to explore. Festus snorted like he was trying to get Leo's attention, reminding him that they didn't have all night. It was true. Leo figured it would be morning in a few hours and he'd be completely sidetracked. He'd save the dragon, but it wasn't going to help him on the quest. He needed something that would fly. Festus nudged something toward him, a leather tool belt that had been left next to his construction pad. Then the dragon switched on his glowing red eye beams and turned them toward the ceiling. Leo looked up to where the spotlights were pointing and yelped when he recognized the shapes hanging above them in the darkness. Festus, he said in a small voice, we've got work to do. And that is the end of chapter 12. Wow, so what we learned in this chapter is that Leo finally learned how to control Festus, the dragon, and found a bunker. And what's even more weirder is that it's probably it was probably made in 1864 and had the sketches of a flying ship with the same with the same layout of the ship that Leo saw in his dreams. It's pretty it's pretty creepy, right? It kind of sounds like Percy's dreams when we are reading the um, Percy Jackson series because Percy used to have dreams where he could actually see what was happening in other parts of the world in his dreams, which is really, really interesting. So maybe Leo might be having the same abilities now. 
But I guess we'll have to find out when we read the next chapter about Leo, because in chapter 13, it's about Jason. So I'm going to read a little bit, then we will find out what will happen next week when we read the full chapters of chapter 13 and 14. So chapter 13, Jason. Jason dreamed of wolves. He stood in a clearing in the middle of a redwood forest. In front of him rose the ruins of a stone mansion. Low gray clouds blended with the ground fog and cold rain hung in the air. A pack of large gray beasts milled around him, brushing against his legs, snarling and baring their teeth. They gently nudged him toward the ruins. Jason had no desire to become the world's largest dog dog biscuit, so he decided to do what they wanted. Well, that was an interesting dream, but that's where we will stop for now. Until then, we will read chapter 13 and 14 next week. And thank you for listening to this podcast until now. I hope you guys keep listening. And uh, I am reading the reviews on um, several uh, platforms. And I thank you for the reviews that you have been providing me so that I can improve myself on it. And... No, I do not have any social media at this point, but thank you for asking for, so yeah. Until then, guys, stay safe and stay out of boredom.